Last month, a Swiss climber, Danny Arnold, set the speed record for climbing the Chima Grande, a 550 metre high mountain face in the Italian Alps. He beat the previous record by about 19 minutes with his new time of 46 minutes and 30 seconds. But what makes this climbing record so terrifying is that, as you can see, he did it without any ropes or safety harness. For most of us, thankfully we'll never experience anything like this. Uh, I really don't have a head for heights at all, so just watching that makes me go kind of queasy inside and can give me nightmares. But sometimes I think that's how we sometimes feel that our Christian life is like. It can feel like following Jesus is like trying to climb a mountain with no ropes or safety gear. It's like we have to desperately hold on to Jesus. Knowing that at any moment, if we don't have enough strength, if we take the wrong step, we're just going to fall and fall to our death. But that isn't how Jesus described the Christian life. Jesus didn't say that it's all about desperately, us desperately holding on to Jesus. Rather he said it's about knowing that he is securely holding on to us. So we're going to read some verses from John chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 22. Uh, down to verse 42. So John chapter 10, verse 22, down to the end of the chapter. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not storing you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, 
I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. In that, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. So far in John's Gospel, we've seen Jesus interact with the Jews during three of the Jewish festivals, or the feasts. The, the Sabbath, and the Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But here we're introduced to a fourth festival, the Feast of of dedication at Jerusalem. Now, unlike the others, this feast, which is also called Hanukkah, was not commanded by God in the Old Testament. So you're not going to find the the directions for this feast in our Old Testament. Instead, this was a commemoration of the rededication of the temple, the Jerusalem temple, in 164 B.C., So it was a time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So three years before this dedication, the Syrian emperor, Antiochus Epiphanes, had desecrated the temple by erecting an altar to the false god Zeus. But then in a heroic struggle, Judas Maccabeus led a revolt against the Syrians and he restored And purified the temple. And this was marked by a great dedication ceremony with a new altar, with sacrifices, song, music, and the relighting of the temple lamps. And each December, since that time, the people would gather for eight days to joyfully celebrate this victory and their newfound freedom, religious freedom. But as they did that, as they looked back to that amazing, great, heroic victory and that great leader who led them to it, it also stirred up their hope in a new heroic leader. The Anointed One, the Christ, who they believed would bring them the ultimate deliverance and freedom from the oppression that they longed for. So during that feast, Jesus was in the temple area, walking in what's called the Solomon's, Solomon's Colonnade. It was a covered walkway on the east side of the temple. It provided shelter from the cold winds of winter. It was also where the early Christians met, if you have a look at that in the book of Acts. But as Jesus walked there, The Jewish leadership gathered around him and asked him a question. How long will you keep us in suspense, they said. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now maybe when we read that for the first time, that might just look like a simple and direct request for information. 
But in reality, this was far from just an innocent question. For one thing, they were accusing Jesus of having tried to hide his identity. Maybe even to deliberately frustrate them or annoy them. So was Jesus doing that? But the bigger problem with what they said was that in the the middle of this celebration of this heroic leader, for for Jesus to declare himself as the Christ would have stirred up all that military ambition of the Jews. Maybe even of his own disciples. So these people were either trying to force Jesus to become the leader that they wanted him to be, or they were trying trying to get him to stand up and declare him that kind of leader and get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. But of course, this question is a crucial question to ask. In fact, I hope we've seen it as we've been through John's Gospel. It's the crucial question of this Gospel. And it is also the crucial question in our lives. If we don't understand who Jesus really is, then we cannot come into the salvation that he offers. That's why John wrote his Gospel. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, in that by believing, you may have life in his name. So how would Jesus answer this question from these leaders? How would he answer it without feeding into this false idea of what the Christ would do, be a military leader and lead them to victory over the Romans? Well, Jesus did this by refusing to give a kind of simple yes or no answer. He didn't just say, yes, I am. And said, first of all, he confronted their criticism of him. Look at what he says in verse 25. They claimed that their lack of knowledge about Jesus was because because of his secrecy and his lack of openness. But he refuted this. He said, I did tell you. But you do not believe. The problem here was not that Jesus hadn't declared his identity openly. The problem was, wasn't that he'd been secretive or hiding his, who he really was. The problem was the refusal to believe the evidence that he'd already provided. And that evidence was provided in both Jesus' words and Jesus' works. Throughout this gospel, Jesus speaks about the uniqueness of his identity. And, that, and he spoke this way in a, in a culture that was in many ways very different from ours. The Jews, they had a very deep reverence for God. And this impacted how they spoke about God. In the Old Testament, God's name is declared to be Yahweh, the great I Am. It's the most frequently used name for God in the Old Testament. But our Bibles translate that name Yahweh as Lord. 
L-O-R-D, all in block capitals. I'm sure you've seen that as you've read through some of the Old Testament. And this is because the translators followed what the Jews did when they came to the word Yahweh in the Old Testament. They regarded this name with such reverence that they would never take it upon their lips in case they used the name of the Lord, took the name of the Lord in vain. So instead of naming the word Yahweh, they pronounced the name Adonai, which means my Lord. So this culture that Jesus was speaking into had such a deep reverence for God that they wouldn't even speak the name of the Lord. But when Jesus spoke into this culture, he said about God, he he referred to God as my Father. This was a, a radical way to refer to God. This culture where they wouldn't even speak his name. And then here's Jesus saying, my Father. He claimed to have a unique relationship with God. One of intimacy and love. And Jesus made this even clearer in this passage because he said in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now, this does not mean that he and the Father are the same person. That's not what he was trying to say. In the Godhead, there are three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what Jesus was saying here is that he is one with the Father. He is in absolute unity with him. And this is because he was equal with the Father in nature. It's clear that what Jesus is claiming to be is both fully God and fully man. He is claiming here to be co-equal with the Father. And his audience, to some extent, understood what he was claiming. Because they picked up stones to kill him. What they said for, for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. Now, of course, they got it wrong as well, didn't they? Because Jesus is not a mere man. And he was not trying to make himself God. But they did get what Jesus was, was saying, what he was claiming. He, he was claiming to be fully human and yet also fully God. And this is what Jesus has made very clear right throughout this gospel. For example, in chapter 5 and 19, Jesus said, Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Chapter 8, Jesus said, Before Abraham was born, I am. And throughout the Gospel, he claimed to be the, the great I am when he said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And this is what John the Apostle has taught right from the start of this gospel. 
Remember way back in John chapter 1 that we looked at when we started this, this journey through the, John's Gospel? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So let's not listen to those people who say the ridiculous thing that like Jesus never ever claimed to be God. There are people who say that. But that's ridiculous because it's on every page of John's Gospel. Jesus is clarifying who he really is. He is both fully man and fully God. And of course this was a radical thing for the Jews to hear. Jesus being fully man and fully God did not fit into their theological framework, their idea of what God, who God is and what was true. And so Jesus here tried to help them to bridge that gap by pointing to the words of Scripture. Verse 34. Jesus said, Is it not written in your law? I have said, You are God's. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 82. And if it says here, I said you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men, you will fall like every other ruler. Now, if this is a bit confusing, don't worry, because scholars have debated what this means for years and years and years. So the question is, who are these people referred to as gods? Small g. Gods. So don't be, don't, we're not going to be able to be dogmatic about this, and if it kind of confuses you, don't worry because it confuses lots of people. But one suggestion is that this psalm is setting up a contrast. A contrast between the unjust human judges in the nation of Israel and God, the perfect judge. And so God called these unjust judges gods with a small g because they'd been given the responsibility to declare his word and also to dispense his justice. In their nation, they were to act in that way. And so that's why he used this phrase. But the reason why Jesus was quoting from this psalm here, he says in verse 35, If he called them gods, small g, to whom the word of God came and the scripture can't be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Jesus believed that God's word is completely trustworthy. And so scripture used this term gods, small g, to refer to mere men, people who maybe had been called to be judges in the nation then is it too big a leap to even consider Jesus, his claim to be the Son of God? He was calling his audience not to jump to the conclusion that he is guilty of blasphemy. Not to immediately, off the cuff, shooting from the hip, reject the claims, his claim to be the Son of God. He was asking them just to take the time to consider whether he really is who he claims to be. Is he he the one that the Father set apart or dedicated 
or sent into the, into, and sent into the world. And again, this was especially significant because remember, this is the tea time of the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication. They were celebrating the rededication of, of the temple as the sanctuary of the living God. But here Jesus is reminding them or, and calling them to consider that he is the ultimate sanctuary. He is the ultimate meeting place between God and his people. Not the temple, but he is. He is the sanctuary in and whom the, the, through the living God may be approached and worshipped. So Jesus had told them before who he was. And he made it clear to them again in this passage. But it wasn't just words that pointed to his identity. It was also his works. Look at verse 25. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. So far in John's Gospel we've seen five of these miracles. Five of these miraculous signs. There's two more to come. So first of all, he turned water into wine. He healed an official son in Capernaum. Then at the pool called Bethesda in Jerusalem, he healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Then on the other side of Galilee, he fed a crowd of over 5,000 men, including uh, women and kids, from a boy's packed lunch. And then back in Jerusalem, he healed uh, a man who had been born blind. So no wonder Jesus could say, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. And each of these miracles were signposts that pointed to the reality of his identity. And so Jesus didn't just ask people to take his word for it, for who he was. He encouraged them to look at the evidence of what he did. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does, he said in verse 37. And so instead of the crowd challenging him, to answer their question. Jesus turned this situation around and instead challenged them to make a choice. A choice that we all face. Of how are we going to respond to the evidence that points to the reality of who Jesus is? How are we going to respond? Tragically, that day, many people chose to reject Jesus. They heard all of these wonderful words. They saw his powerful work. And yet still they did not believe. Again, they tried to seize him, but they, he escaped their, their grasp, it says in verse 39. The time of the cross was approaching, but it wasn't quite there. Yet, and so Jesus escaped their attempts to seize him and kill him. But the Jews once again rejected Jesus. Not because he'd hidden his identity, 
but instead because they did not believe, they did not belong to him. Verse 26, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. In rejecting Jesus, they had revealed the hardness of their heart and their separation from God's flock. They had shown that they did not belong to God because they rejected Jesus. And sadly, today is still the same. If we refuse to listen to and follow Jesus, then we have placed ourselves outside of God's flock. There is only one way to be part of God's family, and it's only through Christ. So if we listen to him, if we follow him, then we belong to Jesus. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. If we accept Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, then we're brought into a new and living relationship with him. One that changes our lives. As we listen to his voice. And as we follow his leading. This is what the people did in the the area across the Jordan. Where John the Baptist administered. When Jesus went there... It says, many people trusted in him. They said this, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. They listened to Jesus' words, they saw his work, and they remembered what John the Baptist had said about him. And in response, they believed in him. So this morning again, we're faced with that same choice. The evidence is there if you're willing to look. Jesus has clearly revealed his identity. He's clearly revealed who he really is through his words, through his work, through his witnesses. So how are we going to respond? Will we refuse to believe and declare ourselves to be outside of God's flock? Or will we listen to Jesus? Will we put our faith in him? And this is the most significant choice we'll ever make in our lives. Because of who Jesus is, because he is the son of God, if we refuse him, then we will be forever separated from God. John chapter 3 verse 18 says this, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There is no other way. Those who say no to Jesus will be forever separated from him and ultimately end up in hell forever. But on the other hand, Because of who Jesus is. Because he is the Son of God. If we receive him. If we will accept him into our lives. Then we will forever be part of his flock. And we will never be separated from him. This is the wonderful promise to all who who listen to him. 
John chapter 10, verse 28, one of my favourite verses. So if you don't listen to anything else this morning, please let the truth of this verse sink deep into your hearts. Those who listen to him, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I think it's one of the greatest statements of the eternal security of believers in Christ. If we are among those who have heard his voice and answered his call and put our faith in Jesus, then Jesus has given us eternal life as a present reality. And because of that, we will never perish. Absolute security. We will never be lost because he will never let go of us. That's because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sin. All of our sins in full. And he rose again from the dead to, to show that our, light, our, our that payment for sins has been paid for. And he ever lives to hold on to us. And to secure our salvation. If we trust in Jesus. We have eternal life. We will never perish. We will never be lost. But if that's not enough for you. And Jesus goes on in verse 29. That just as the Father and the Son were united in the sacrifice of Calvary. So the Father and the Son are united in the security of the believer. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are doubly loved. We are doubly secure. Not just held by our living Saviour, but held also by our Heavenly Father. The one who is greater than all. So that we can be absolutely sure no one can snatch us away. What this means, guys, is that even although it might feel like that the Christian life, as if the Christian life is like trying to climb a mountain without safety gear, without ropes. As if we have to desperately hold on to Jesus, terrified that we might fall at any moment. Nothing could be farther from the truth. If we have recognised who Jesus is, if we have responded to his call, if we have put our faith in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, then we are saved. Then we have been delivered from sin and death and hell. And we have been dedicated to God as his children. And nothing and no one can ever separate us from his love. So this morning, do you know who Jesus really is? Have you accepted him as your Saviour and Lord? 
And do you know that you're held securely by him? And he will never let you go.